You'll notice as you take a look at your bulletin, there's a few things we did differently today, and, I, and I've done that for a reason. And uh, there's a few kinks we have to work out, and one of those that you might notice is I'm going to ask you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word this morning. So I know you just sat down. If you can, please stand with me as we read the Scripture together. This is from 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. If you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he, is, for he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off. But the, Lord of the word of the Lord endures forever, and this is the word which was preached to you. Therefore, putting aside all malice, and all deceit and hypocrisy, and envy and all slander, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So if you go back and look, uh, I believe it was on uh, March 20th, I preached here, and we actually, that day, we started, I preached a sermon from uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3, and it ran all the way through, uh, and we kind of finished up with verse 13. And so it's been a while since we started that, and it's been a while, I believe that was the, the actually the day I came and preached and you guys voted on us, uh, so I guess it went okay, I'm thankful you guys voted for us. But if you want to, go back and look at that. If you weren't here that day, you can always look back on the church website or the church YouTube page and find that back from March 20th. I checked to make sure it was there. And so you can hear what we talked about that day. But let me sum that up for you. Blessed be God. Praise be our God because he has caused us to be born again. Then it said he gave us a living hope. He continues to talk about all the blessings we are given by God. In fact, after that, it says we have an inheritance laid up for us in heaven. That is, we have a room in God's house prepared for us. All that is secure. It's, it's not going to suddenly go away. And so we have all these blessings that he's given to us in 1 Peter chapter 1. And so when you get down to verse 13, where we pick it up today... And it says, therefore, saying, in light of all of God's blessings, in light of Him saving you, in light of Him giving you heaven and eternity, well, this is what I want you to do. So look here in verse 13. Again, I'm just going to read verse 13. It says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. 
Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, in light of this, all of these incredible things, what does he want us to do? He wants us to be alert, to be about the work of God's kingdom. He wants us to be ready for action. And he means that in multiple ways. And when we get to the main heart of this, the main command of the day is this, be holy for I am holy. Now that's a pretty strong command, isn't it? That he is telling us, I want you to be like me, set apart from the world, set apart for my service. I want you to be distinct, put sin away, put off the former lust that you had and come and follow me. And so it is a call to action, a call to prepare our, not just our minds, but even our bodies. It says to keep sober in spirit in verse 13. And I want to think about that for a little bit. Now listen, I've never been a drinking person. My parents weren't drinking people. We weren't Christians. We didn't even grow, I didn't grow up in church. You guys know that. But we just weren't drinkers. I've never been drunk in my life. So I don't know what it means necessarily to have to sober up. But I've seen it and I've experienced it. I've done some homeless ministry before. I've been around others who were drunk. And what I know is when you get drunk, you lose control. You start to lose part of the control of the faculties of your mind. You might do things or say things that you ordinarily wouldn't do or say. And when, when it says to be sober in spirit, it is the opposite of that. Because you don't see things rightly when you're under the influence of alcohol or any other drug. And so what it's telling us here is, I want you to be right-minded, sober-minded. I want you to think of the world rightly. So you've got to prepare your mind for action, and you've got to be sober-minded. Now, uh, later on we'll see in the Scripture uh, that when we're talking about this, uh, almost always the prohibition against being drunk is that you're wasting the talents and squandering the life and time that God has given you. Because you don't do anything productive when you're drunk. You just cause harm. Uh, later, it's gonna, we're going to see this in Ephesians. It calls this dissipation, just simply a wasting of time. Well, what we want to do this morning, and what it's telling us to do when it says to prepare your minds for action and be sober in spirit, is to make an adjustment and say, I want to make the most of the time that God has given me on this earth. To be sober-minded is to be clear-minded, having control of our thoughts and actions. Again, the opposite of being drunk. Let's not waste the life that God has given to us. Now, I think we see in the text this morning, there's two reasons to sober up. I hear that if you've drunk a lot, and if, that you can try all sorts of different things to sober up. Well, guess what? This one gives us two reasons from a spiritual sense to sober up this morning. Look at verse 17. It says, If you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. Church, it's time to think rightly about our lives, our behavior, and our actions matter. We serve a God who sees what we do in secret. Isn't that what he tells us in Matthew? When you pray, don't do it for the praise of men. Don't do it on the street corners. Go do it in secret because the, your reward will come from the God who sees what you do in secret. Do we know that we have a God that sees what we do at all times? What are, and he's able even to see the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now, it says here that we call God Father, and he is our Father. 
We just talked about those blessings he given us, has given us. One of the blessings is that we have been adopted as his children, brought into his family when we were not a family. When we were not a people, he made us a people. We saw that in Ephesians the other night, or last Sunday night. But he has brought us into his family. It also says, though, that he is the one who impartially judges according to each one's work. That's a little sobering, isn't it? We go through this life and we think what we do doesn't matter, that nobody sees what we do in secret. But then we're, we're calling Father the one who judges impartially according to our work. In other words, He knows exactly what we have done, doesn't He? Now that should be a little bit sobering because it speaks of God in, as a judge and then He tells us to conduct ourselves in fear during the time of our stay on earth. Now, as I study this this week, I don't normally just think I've just really learned something new this week. But as I prepared this message, and I've taught on this passage before, the thing that I missed was this. I'm trying to understand, well, what does it mean that there's a judgment coming? How does that work with salvation? Because we know that we are saved by grace through faith, and it is the gift of God and it tells us that it was the free gift of God in Romans 6.23. So what does it mean that there's a judgment to come where God is going to judge impartially each one according to his works? And I want to come back to that in a minute because I, missed a, I think I missed a key part when I was studying uh, this initially. And as I studied throughout the week, it began to dawn on me. I get it. And we're going to come back to this. But here's what I want to say. There is a judgment, an accounting that's coming for everyone. All right, now, that sounds kind of scary, doesn't it? You think about your life and what the limited time that you have on this earth. We think about what are we going to do with it? What have we done with it? What's our plan for the rest of our lives? Are we wasting it as though we were drunk, just going through life, doing whatever we wanted to? Or are we sober-minded, assessing the fact that, hey, we don't have that much time. We want to be about God's kingdom. We want to be alert and ready for action. Listen to this. This is Romans chapter 14, verse 12. It says, So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. That's kind of sobering again. It's the same, same idea. Each one of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Revelation chapter 20. You get into Revelation, things get scary sometimes, right? And you get in chapter 20, verse 13 and 15, and he's talking about the final judgment. Listen to what it says. It says, The sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Do you hear that? Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, that's, again, that's a little sobering to think, well, God is, he impartially judges each one according to his works. He sees all that we do, and there's this judgment at the end where he says he judges each one according to his deeds, and if you're not found in the Lamb's book of life, you're thrown into the lake of fire, which he describes here as the second death. Not just the first physical death, but there's a resurrection, and then you are thrown into hell for eternity, according to this passage. Isn't that kind of hard when we start thinking, well, we have all these blessings in 1 Peter. 
How does it make sense now that that we're being told to live in fear during our time on earth? How do we, how are these two things compatible? And let me read you another verse. This is John chapter 5, verse 24. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes me, him who sent me, has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. Doesn't that kind of contradict what I'm saying a little bit? Where he says there, listen, you already have eternal life. You're not going to judgment. And then in Romans 8, chapter 8, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Again, well, is there a, is there a judgment coming? Is there accounting before God or is there not? How am I supposed to see this in the text? Uh, let me read one more verse just to kind of get this idea, though, of giving an account before the Lord. This is from Matthew chapter 12, verses 35 and 37. And by the way, in this passage, Jesus is trying to, he's really condemning them. He wants them to see their sin so that they would recognize the need for a Savior that, who was himself. But in Matthew chapter 12, verses 35 and through 37 says this, The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Every careless word you will give an accounting for. Is that terrifying? Yeah. Every careless word. I mean, everything that you've said, God knows it. How long, you know, God doesn't have a limited memory like I do. I forget things. Right, some of you know I, did, I, I messed up some names. I have, I've gotten most of your names down pretty good. But sometimes we forget things, right? We get things wrong. How, when does, how much does God forget? He doesn't. How much did he just not see or not even know about? There's nothing outside of his view. He's omniscient. He knows all things. He's omnipresent. He is everywhere fully at all times. He can give his undivided attention to me. And he can give his undivided attention to Haley all at the same time. And I don't even know how that works. Sorry, I, if I make eye contact, I'm going to call on your name. Now everybody's suddenly looking down like this. Like, I'm not going to look at that guy. But we have this verse back in 1 Peter chapter, thir- chapter 1, verse 13. Or skip down to verse 17. If you address his father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, Conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. What I missed when I looked at this the first time is it says you call him Father. And that is your Father. And yes, he does impartially see what you do. But the judgment that we go to is not the same as the judgment of the loss. And here's the difference. You might stand before him and give an account of your life. But the difference in Revelation chapter 20 was if you were in the Lamb's book of life, you were saved. You did not get cast into the fire. And how did you get in the Lamb's book of life? By faith through grace. It was when you were reborn, when he had a plan before the foundation of the world to save you and rescue you, and he caused it to happen. He has worked it out in your life that you would hear the gospel, that you would believe it and be saved, to be regenerated, reborn, have a dwelling place in heaven. 
He's already set that up. And so there, this is not a threat in that sense. It's not that we're supposed to live in the fear of going to hell. But here's what it is. How many of you had a father? And I know, listen, I know some of you were not able to have a good father in your home or good parents in your home. I understand that it works that way, and I hope that there was somebody else that filled that gap for you. But when we talk about God as Father, we mean a good Father. A Father that cares and wants the best for His children. Now, I have children, and your parents had obviously had children. And if they wanted the best for you, they set boundaries. They said, these things are okay, these things are not. They set up rules and they kept account of what you did. How many of you ever violated those rules, decided, I'm going to do it my own way, I don't care what my parents said? And then your father says, hey son, what happened today? And you have to give an account before him. I think that's what this is talking about. We call him father, and he's a loving father, he's good, he wants what's best for us. But what he's saying is, you still have to give an account to him. He's going to ask you what you did, and what is God's plan for us? He wants us to grow up and to be obedient children. If you look down at verse, uh, if you look back up in verse 14, it says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts, which were yours in ignorance. In other words, the, the imagery that you have to pick up on here is, he's the father we're the children. He wants what is best for us. And if you look all the way down in, at chapter 2, verse 2, he says, Like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. What God wants for us is to grow up and mature in this salvation, grow up and mature into men and women of God. And so this is simply, we're going to stand before our Father who loves us, and give an account of how we used our time on this earth. Now, that should still be humbling, should still be sobering, but does it come with fear? I think it cast off fear. And here's why I say that. 1 John chapter 4, verse 17 says this, By this love is perfected with us, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so we are in this world. Listen, we have boldness and confidence on the day of judgment. Because when I stand there, I'm going to give an account of my life. And you know who already knows all the things I did in my life? God. And at the end of the day, you know who's going to, what, what my plea is going to be? Jesus. I mean, again, if he, if he asks you, why today should I let you into my heaven? There's only one answer. Jesus. Because Jesus paid for it. All those deeds I just accounted to you, Christ paid for them on the cross. He paid for them. And Jesus said, I can come in. And that's the only reason that I get to come in. It's not because of good works. It's because of that. And so we have that to rest in. But nevertheless, it sobers us up. There's a, a second reason to be sober in the text. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. All flesh is like grass. And all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. We know we're going to give an account to our Father, and so we should think rightly about our life. 
Second reason to be sober here, that accounting is coming a lot quicker than we think it is. In other words, it says life, all flesh, this body is like grass. All of its glory, all the strength that I think I have, all that strength the young men think they have in those younger years is like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off. How many of you ever cut grass? Yeah, and, and in the springtime, and it's nice and green, and it springs up quickly, and if you don't cut it quickly, it starts to develop little grass, little flowers on the top, right? Um, when, when we moved in, what, just a month ago, grass had little flowers on it, especially the clover that was kind of coming through. And we went through and cut it, and you know what it did? It grew back. But then we had a couple weeks where it didn't rain very much. And then the temperature got hot. And you know what I saw? One day I was out and I kind of kicked some clover. And you know what the flower did? Just fell off. That's just a couple weeks. It just took a few weeks for that to begin to die. Now, right now it looks pretty good because it's raining again. And it cooled off a little bit. And so the grass is green and the flowers are growing. But let's be honest, how long is that going to last? Not long, is it? That's right. Because it won't be long, come what may, by the fall, that grass is going to be dead. Those flowers are just going to fall off. It's going to be done for for the season. That's life. We don't know how long it's going to last. And so it's telling us, prepare your minds for action. Be sober in spirit. Fix your hope just on the grace that is coming to us in Christ. Be about the work of the kingdom because it's not going to last very long. And you're going to stand before your father, your loving father. And he's going to ask you about your life and you're going to give an account. And he's going to welcome you in. But don't you want to be, him to be proud? Don't we want him to say, you know, well done, my good and faithful servant. That it matters what we do in this life. And sometimes we're con we've convinced ourselves it doesn't. That, well, we're already saved. We're okay. We are okay. I want you to rest in Christ. The finished work of Christ on the cross, that takes care of your salvation. It really does. But he created us. We are his workmanship for the good works that he prepared beforehand that we would do them. He has a plan in mind for us. Now, we know, again, life is fleeting. Psalm 90, verse 12 says this, So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Learning to count our days, learning to recognize the end that is coming, gives us wisdom on how to live. Similar teaching in Ephesians 5, Ephesians 5, verses, verse 15 says this, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. You know how similar that is to what we learned in 1 Peter? Don't waste your time. Make the most of it. Don't bother getting drunk because that's just squandering what God has given you. Instead, be filled with the Spirit and be about His work. 
be about the work of God's kingdom. And that's what we are being called to here. Now, we've talked a lot about this. We want to be sober-minded. I think we're thinking rightly about our lives right at this moment. Let's look at the commands. Verse 14 and 15. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Here we are, we're as children, we want to be obedient, we want to follow Him. It says, do not be conformed or shaped by or molded by your former lust. Lusts are just illicit desires, things that we desire and want that are against God's laws. They are sinful passions. Previously, we had been ignorant. We'd lived according to our own, deni- our own desires. They were ignorant no more in Peter's day. He's telling them that you are not ignorant anymore. And we are not ignorant anymore. So don't live according to the lust of the flesh anymore. Prepare our minds for action. This is like an unbeliever today that in some ways doesn't know better. You know, we have people who come into the church. Maybe they've never heard the gospel. Maybe they didn't have strong parents teaching them, this is how you shall live according to the scripture. They didn't have someone teaching them what God desired. And they come in, and you know what we say to them? Come as you are. Because God wants them to come just as they are. He wants them to come, hear the gospel, and be saved. But then we don't just leave them there, do we? We don't just want them to remain ignorant. We say, hey, God has done this for you. He's called you to be born again. He's gave you, given you that inheritance in heaven. He's given you all these things. Now, let's, don't you want to live a life that's pleasing to him? He's a good father. Don't you want to live a life that, that, is, that makes him happy, that is according to his plan? Because in the end, guess what? That's even better for you. We don't leave people in their ignorance. We teach. We want them to come and then be transformed. But in contrast to our ignorant pursuit of sinful passions, in verse 15, it says, Like the Holy One who called you, be holy in all your behavior. You guys know what holy means? It means to be separate from sin, to be pure, to set aside for a sacred purpose. We're to be set apart from sin and from the world. We're to be set apart uh, for God's purpose, for His use. Again, uh, when you the original quote of this, by the way, is from Leviticus. It's quoted at least three different times in Leviticus. And we're not certain exactly which time he was referring to in 1 Peter. But here's what we know. Back then, when something was holy, it was going to be used in the temple, or you were a priest and you were going to be serving in the temple, sacrifices were made it was cleansed it was set apart for god's purposes not for the purposes of the world you didn't use it for mundane things anymore and so we know that god is calling us to be like that a major theme in leviticus is that as god's people came out of egypt they were to be a distinct and different people from the peoples around them they were to be holy because they were god's people The laws and the rules that we find in Leviticus were designed to to mark them out as different from the other nations, to lead them to be holy and pleasing to God. Leviticus lays out moral laws. Think about the Ten Commandments. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. Don't have other gods. Lays out ceremonial laws like the rules of what they could and could not eat. Some of them seem simply designed to distinguish them as a people as different. Think about those dietary laws. Were there moral issues with the dietary laws? 
Only because God said it was. And we know that because when we get to the New Testament, he says, eat it, give thanks and eat it. And we know that that was a promise uh, or something, a law that he gave us that was simply to set them apart as distinct. But again, at least three times Leviticus, he commands them, be holy because I am holy. And church, we are God's people today, just like the church was there in Peter's time, just like it was in Leviticus. We're supposed to live a holy life, pleasing to God. We are to separate ourselves from the world. And it starts with us preparing our minds to quit lying to ourselves about sin, to repent. She listens to a couple of the examples from Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 11, verse 43 and 45 says this, For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. You shall not make yourselves unclean with any of the swarming things that swarm on the earth. For I am the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God. Thus you shall be holy, for I am holy. He's the one that brought them out of Egypt, who delivered them. He is holy, and they're supposed to be now distinct and holy. In Leviticus 19.2, it talks about this again, but I want you to hear Leviticus 18.3. It says, Do not be like the Egyptians. That is, where they just came from in captivity. Don't be like them, or like the Canaanites. That is, where they are going, the peoples who would be there. They are to follow God's law, not the pagan world's. After this, there's a great deal about sexual immorality listed in that chapter of Leviticus. Incest is covered in detail. In verse 20, it speaks of adultery. It speaks of how they should not offer up their children as as, uh, sacrifices to false gods. It speaks there about homosexuality. If you were there to go back and, and to read further in Leviticus, you see that we are not to defile ourselves by the culture around us. Our behavior matters, and it's time for the church to be pure and holy, not defiled and polluted by accepting pagan ideas. Prepare your minds for actions. Be alert. Be holy. Now, it's interesting. One last verse in Leviticus before we finish up in 1 Peter. Leviticus 19, verses 1 through 4 says this. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Every one of you shall reverence his mother and his father. You shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord, your God. Do not turn to idols or make yourselves molten gods. I am the Lord, your God. If we're to be holy, one of the things we have to do is honor our parents. Keep the Sabbath, make no idols. Why? He gives one justification. Because I am holy. And I am your God. If you look down at verse 10 there and following, there are more examples again. They're supposed to help the needy. They're not to steal. They're not to lie to one another. They're, do, they're told not to oppress their neighbor or rob him. What we do matters to God. And when he calls us to holiness in First Peter, all those things are in mind. This isn't simple. It's not just, here's one command, follow it. There are all sorts of purposes wrapped up in what he said in Leviticus and in what we find in 1 Peter. There's one couple of commands I want to give us in the text. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. It says, Since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. When he says, prepare your minds for action, be sober-minded, make the most of your time, be holy as I am holy, one of those 
commands that comes with that is this, love one another sincerely from the heart. Seek the best for one another. Now, we know why he says this, right? Why this is the one command that he mentions right there. When they ask Jesus, what are the greatest commandments? Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, listen to Romans 13, verses 8 through 10. Owe nothing to one another except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Listen, if you love your neighbor, if you love one another in this church, you want what's best for them. And if you want what's best for them, you will treat them as holy. You will follow God's commands in your interactions with them. And if you find that you don't do that, that's not love. So if you would just love your neighbor, he says, guess what? You'll keep these other commands. And that's why those first two were the most important. We look down at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. He tells us some things to put off. I want you to be holy as I am holy. It says, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Here what it says, I want you to put these things off. Take these off like dirty old clothes. Malice. You know what malice is? Evil intentions for someone. If you have malice in your heart, it's kind of the opposite of love. Love seeks the good of someone. Malice seeks evil. Maybe for your own advantage, maybe for some sort of gain. I don't know why it is. But then you have deceit and hypocrisy, envy and slander. And you might begin to say, well, you know, I don't... You know, malice sounds kind of hard. You have an evil intention for someone. I don't do that. And then we look at the text, though. It says, well, maybe it starts off with envy and jealousy. Have you ever been jealous? Man, I have. Envied somebody and thought, you know, I really want what they want. You know, we're told in the Old Testament, don't covet your neighbor's wife. Isn't that kind of the beginning of adultery? And so envy leads to bigger sins, but envy can start with something small. Maybe I want the respect that somebody else has. I want people to esteem me and respect me the way they respect someone else. I don't know what the, the issue might be, but you want what they have. Maybe their money, maybe their respect, maybe their spouse. Sin takes root, malice begins. Your thoughts become evil, you seek to do them harm, you lie, you pretend to love one another. But it says, listen, I want you to throw off hypocrisy, but what happens when you say that you love each other? When you go to fellowships together, but in your heart you're planning evil against them? You know what we call that? Hypocrisy. We're two-faced. And it's saying, hey, listen, I want you to put off malice, put off deceit and envy and slander. Because we, we look at this and we go, listen, I don't really want to harm someone. It's too extreme. You just tell a little lie. It's a little lie. And then what we find is slander happens. Words meant to get others to doubt someone's integrity or intentions. 
A little bit of slander goes a long way, doesn't it? You run somebody into the ground. Church, when that happens, you know what's going on? Satan is using you to divide God's people. Sin will run amok in the church. And there's a reason. There's a strong warning for us here in the text. And it's telling us, look, you need to long for the pure milk of the word. Come and see how, what it means to be holy and follow me so that you will grow up in respect to salvation. Again, as we get ready to start to go into this time of invitation, recognize this. God is a good father. He loves us, and he's not giving us these commands because he is mean. He's given us these commands because he doesn't want us to get hurt. You know, we went, I took my boys hiking a couple weeks ago. And you know what, you have, to, you have to set rules when you do that, right? Don't go over there. Why not? Because there's a cliff. Well, God has a plan for us. And it's so that we don't walk off that cliff into sin and shipwreck our lives. He's got a good plan for us. And he loves us, but guess what? We're going to give an account. Now, I don't want you to think of that, that again as obligation. I want you to think about it through the eyes, lens of grace. He's a good father, and we just want to tell him, Father, I love you, and I want to make you happy. I want to please you. And so we don't put off these things and, and declare ourselves holy and live for him out of obligation. We do it motivated by the grace that he's given us. That's why all of 1 Peter's there. If you will fall in love with Jesus and always fall in love with what he did on the cross for you, holiness becomes something good and not something bad. I had one conversation Wednesday night. I was talking with someone, and she was telling me, you know, I, I think a lot of the problem these days is we just want to know how far is too far. Forget holiness and purity. We're like, how far can I go before this becomes sin? Well, church, when we love God, we don't look at it that way. Because when we look at it like that, it's legalism. When we think, how far can I go? It's saying, I just want to get, I want to get all the pleasure out of this life I can. Church, I want us to love God. And if we will love Him and follow Him and love one another and seek the best for one another, God can use that. And this life is fleeting. So let's make the most of our time at Forest Heights Baptist Church. Let's walk this walk together. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the scripture. I thank you that you are a good father who loves us. And I pray that we would be obedient children, that we would come before you with love and with trust. And Father, that we would follow the path you have set out for us so that we would grow up in respect to righteousness and grow up to be men and women of God. Father, I thank you for what you're doing. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.